Hello and welcome back to another edition of Talking Troy. My name is Nathan Ackerman. I am an associate managing editor with, of course, an emphasis on sports here at the Daily Trojan. Uh, we are recording this on Tuesday, November 24th, and today I am joined by my two co-hosts, David Ramirez and Taylor Mills, co-sports editors here at the DT. David and Taylor, how are the two of you? Uh, doing fine. Joining the prayer circle so that there's no more positive COVID <laughs> tests from USC football. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, I'm doing okay. Um relieved that USC got the win last week, but I'm a little nervous with all these COVID tests and stuff, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, well, let's let's start off before we, we get into some of the COVID implications, because those are obviously um, looming and something that needs to be on everybody's radar. But um, USC in week three traveled to Salt Lake and put up a pretty convincing, I thought, uh, 33-17 win over the Utes in what was you know, going to figure to be one of USC's toughest games all year. I think the the main thing that stood out to me was the defense, of course. The, I mean, the unit was just phenomenal. Um, the last, the first two games were obviously questionable, you know, 27 points against Arizona State, which is a, g- a good offense, but uh, the defense just didn't look all too great that game. And then 30 points against Arizona, which simply should not have happened. Um, but the Trojans clamped down. They actually, the, the, the defensive unit itself allowed only 10 points because I think seven of those points came on a fumble scoop and score by Keaton Slovis. So they allowed 10 points all game, no points in the second half. And I think that was probably had to be the most promising sign from that game. What what did the two of you make about the Trojans' defensive performance against the Utes? Well, they said in the press conference following, like their goal was to stop the run and they did exactly that. Um, I think it started out great. And like, you could just see their confidence um, starting with like exhausting the quarterback, Cameron Rising, who was his first outing of the season. And then they sacked, you know, following quarterback Jake Bentley twice and finished with forcing five turnovers. It was a really great outing. And so we can really see them, like, stopping the rushing game, with especially Jordan Ty, who was the biggest threat on the rushing front. Um, And he only gained 32 yards in seven attempts. Um, And overall, like, Utah had a net 111 yards. And for perspective, like, last year the Trojans allowed more than 200. So obviously something's clicking with Orlando's defense. Um, I think they should really carry this momentum into Colorado. Um, It's not going to be an easy matchup. Again, Colorado is coming off of two huge wins against Stanford and UCLA. Um, So Orlando is really going to have to continue this momentum and this effort. Ty Jordan, thank you. Um, (laughs) And so we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for me, the two signs of a really good defense are the ability to make adjustments and the ability to get timely stops. And I think USC's defense has shown um, in the, the last three weeks that they can they have the ability to do both of those. Um, I think against Utah um, in the second half, defense was completely different in the first. Um, I think hats off to Todd Orlando for making those adjustments. And I think, yeah, getting timely stops, and that's not just down the line in the fourth quarter. That's when the other team has momentum and you need a timely third down stop. Like those those type of plays are huge and they can make the difference between winning or losing you a game. And I think we a lot of times we're going to get caught up in the numbers and the box score and how it looked. But if USC's defense gets the stops when they need to, I think that makes them a good defense. And as long as they keep doing what they are and making timely plays, then I have no complaints. Yeah, I think the thing that stood out to me is probably the most encouraging thing from that game was that the linebacker group was actually good. And that unit the first two games was simply not good. But in week three, uh, Raylan Goforth had 12 tackles. Kanai Mauga had 11. I think I think Mauga had like tackles for loss on the first two plays of the game 
on Utah's uh, opening three and out. And then from there, he didn't really let up. Uh, they combined for 23 tackles. And it just it just seemed like the holes that were often open in the first two games through which uh, Jaden Daniels and Grant Gannell exploited pretty much all game. They just simply weren't there. And when they were there, they got closed up pretty fast. So that was definitely encouraging for me. The other thing, Todd Orlando, you know, we talked about him, but I think the most impressive thing that he did was he went into this game totally blind because Utah didn't name their starting quarterback until like 30 minutes before the game. And they didn't know what they were going to get because Rising is more of a dual threat kind of guy who can really run. Whereas Jake Bentley is a, you know, more pro style kind of guy who can really pass. And um, despite that, I mean, they shut down rising in the six I think he was three for six when he was in the game and you know he didn't look all that great and then obviously he got knocked out pretty soon after that with an injury on a sack inside Utah's own 10 yard line that USC quickly turned into a touchdown and then Bentley looks like even worse and USC capitalized when they made mistakes and there were plenty of those so that was definitely um, promising for me I think that might be I don't, I don't know if we can expect USC to keep up that kind of defensive performance all season, uh, but if they can, I mean, this team's going to be really good. Of course, the offense has to do their part as well, and I want to talk about that for a minute or two because the offense was a little bit shaky in the first two weeks, and I thought it was a little bit shaky at times in week three, too. I mean, it wasn't quite perfect, but it was a whole lot better for sure. Uh, I thought the offensive line had its best game of the season. That was really encouraging to see. I still want to see more ground attack, but I thought with Marquis Stepp and Stephen Carr both out, the fact that they ran the ball uh, 26 times, I still want to see more of uh, Keenan uh, Christian. But, I mean, still, the fact that they ran the ball 26 times, um, I think they had 31 rushes overall, but five of those were Keaton Slovis' scrambles on pass plays. So um, I still want to see a more balanced attack, but I thought given the guys that they had out, it was more balanced than we've seen the first couple weeks. And... No wide receiver really had a really dominant game. I think Brew McCoy led the team with 66 yards, but it was sort of an up and down the roster kind of thing. Uh, I liked Eric Cromenhook's role in the red zone, particularly. I think he caught a touchdown pass too. Um, so, what are, what what are the main offensive takeaways from from you two about that game? Yeah, I think like Malapai had a really great outing um, and showed that he can fill the gap of Carr, um, who obviously wasn't able to play. Um, I think he like Keaton still is pretty shaky. Um, we've talked about it earlier, and I think you know like the speculation around his health is maybe an overshot at this point. Um, however, like you know, teams adjusting to his ability is no surprise, and so I think he's doing fine. Um, I really want to see him tapping to his receiving line actually more. Um, I think you know like Tyler Vaughn shows that he has the potential to actually be there for Slovis when he needs him. Um, you know, Brew McCoy also you said had a really great outing, and so I really want. Um, cause I thought that would like made the most efficiency down the field. Um, and so I really want to see Slovis actually tap into that side of the team more. Yeah, I think, um, I tried to downplay his play the last few weeks and the concerns, but I'm officially sounding the, or hitting the panic button, sounding the alarm on Keaton Slovis. Um, I, I just don't think the, the last bit is there, if that makes sense. Like the throws are still getting there. It just doesn't seem like the touch is not there. There's just certain throws that left a little to be desired. And I guess that can be a little concerning, especially when you're playing a little bit better defenses later in the season. Um, as for the running game, I really like what they're doing with the running backs right now. Um, I, I like the ability to kind of um, not give away what you're doing based on the personnel that's on the field. And I feel like with USC, they have with, with each back that's out there, you kind of don't have an idea what they're doing based on what formation they're in or what, what the back's doing or where the back is. And I think that offers a huge advantage to your defense. Um, I really like what they're doing with Keenan Christian as well. I, I know his... His dad tweeted that he can't hit home runs from the bench, but I do think he's not necessarily a volume guy. I think he excels in the role he's in right now. Like, 
a few touches a game where he can really use his speed to, to, to his advantage and get USC big chunks here and there. And then rotating between Marquis Step, Malapai, and Carr, I think, is the way to go. I definitely do think they missed Step, which is why the yards per carry wasn't necessarily so flashy last week. But I do think the run game was effective in the sense that they were picking up those key third and ones and, and, and stuff like that and keeping the chains moving. Yeah, I think I, I agree with everything you just said. I think for me, I want to talk about Keaton Slovis for a sec because I, I'm i definitely worried because he obviously doesn't look anything close to as good as he looked last year. But to me, regression to the mean was somewhat inevitable. I mean, he the what he did his freshman season was nobody saw that coming, right? Um, that was the kind of thing where if he replicated that or did a little bit better than that this year, he's a Heisman finalist for sure. Um, and to me, it was just the, the the expectations that were placed on him before the season were they were valid because he was a beast last year, but I don't know if they were entirely fair. And to me, if USC is going to struggle this year, Keaton Slovis is not going to be the problem, right? Um, I don't think he was the problem in either of the of the first two games because you know, as, as much as stats are deceiving, if that was bad quarterback play, I've said this all year, if that was bad quarterback play, USC has a really good problem on its hands. I think that something in between the Keaton we're seeing right now and 2019 him is like the real Keaton Slovis. Um, but I, and I, and I don't think he's going to get much worse than what he's doing right, right now. So I'm not terribly concerned in that regard, because I think that again, regression to the mean was just something that was going to happen given the fact that he was so good last year. I mean, he was phenomenal. And then you have teams that spent a whole off season, you know, sort of knowing who he is. Cause last year he was a freshman three-star. Uh, nobody really knew who he was. And then he just comes onto the scene and he tears everybody up. So now, you know, people know what he brings. They know what his style is like. Uh, teams are just doing drop eight coverage on every single play. And, you know, Graham Harrell's going to have to figure out how to, how to beat that. And the offensive line, as we've said, it was better in week three. It still hasn't been great this year. So despite all that, Keaton, I think, has looked he's looked like an above-average quarterback. He's probably looked like a good one, too. And Clay, Clay Alton talks about this a lot. Keaton Slovis, he, even if he's not on his game, he's a winner and winners win. And that's what Keaton Slovis has done. He's come through in the biggest moments so far this year. So I think, again, we might not see 2019 Keaton again. We might see close to it, but I don't know if, if we're going to see quite as good as what he did last year. But again, I don't think that that's USC's problem. Um, I think that the running game, they need to establish that more. The offensive line, um, those are both far more far more pressing concerns for USC's offense right now, even if it seems like everything's supposed to be about, about Keaton. So I don't know. That's kind of where I stand with Keaton Slovis right now. I mean, like Coach Clay Helton said after Utah, his offense he knows isn't running on you know all six cylinders um but my question is like well when is it going to you know like you only have what three games left like it's either now or never man and so you know I think they know that they're not playing their best and I think they know that they have more in them um I'm just wondering what's it's going to take to actually make it click well let's use that as a nice little uh lead into our next conversation and that is um, the game this weekend that's probably going to determine the Pac-12 South, and that's USC-Colorado. Colorado comes in at 2-0. and uh, USC has three games left. It seems like if they win two of them, they're pretty much in the Pac-12 championship game, but one of those is going to have to be the Colorado game probably. Um, so how do, what do you think about the way that these two teams match up? Because I think, look, Colorado's 2-0. and They've looked fine. Um, they also beat UCLA by 6 and Stanford by 3, and those are two teams. UCLA's good. 
UCLA is good. I will I will give them that. But they beat Stanford by by three points. To me, Stanford is not that great of a team. So it's not like Colorado has really any jaw dropping wins on their resume at this point. Um, I, I I saw the spread opened at like USC by thirteen point five, and I think that's a bit much, but not too far off. You know, even though neither of these teams have lost quite yet, I think there's a pretty clear talent and overall quality gap between these these two teams but how do you think they match up going into this weekend I was about to say like don't undercut the UCLA matchup because honestly like I was shocked after the Oregon game but um yeah I think it's an excellent matchup for to start the Trojans home stint um I mean if we look back last year it was 35 31 and it was very close it came down to one touchdown at the end um and so you know but I think like it's not going to be the defense it's going to be or it's not going to be the offense it's going to be a defensive game um Colorado's proven that they're pretty lethal um you know I was looking them up and the Buffs have only allowed 101 yards um from tailbacks the in both games um and they adjust, adjusted from UCLA's impressive running game to only allow 70 by Stanford, which is, you know, a pretty great showing that this team has the ability to grow. Um, so, yeah, like, I think it's going to be a game against the defenses, and I'm excited to actually see it. Yeah, um, I think conventional wisdom would tell you um, USC in this game. I mean, Nathan, like you said, there's a clear talent gap, and we can go on and on. But, I I mean, I'm not going to name names here, but in the past three or four years, I think we've seen with USC that when they're favored in a game and everything looks right and they're playing an opponent that's clearly below them, they play down to their opponent. And... I wouldn't be surprised if that happened again. Um, I think USC might pull it out and win ugly again. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Colorado definitely made this um, an uncomfortable game for the Trojans. Um, I do agree with Taylor. I think it's going to be a battle of the defenses in which defense can kind of pull out a stop when it matters. And I do think just with USC's talent on the defensive side of the ball, when you have a player like Drake Jackson who's so special, I do think it just gives you that edge that you do need to squeak out the win. So yeah, I think USC will take it, but I don't, I don't think it'll be as a as as comfortable as, as they would like yeah to me it all comes down to stopping the running game I think uh Jarek Broussard is his name he's run for like well over 100 yards in each of Colorado's first two games this year he's probably the reason why that team's 2-0 the reason why they put up I think 48 points against UCLA and 35 or 38 against Stanford one of those two um and if USC can slow him I don't know if the weapons are really there for this Colorado team, but um, we've seen that USC has struggled against the run game this year, less so against the Utes, of of course. But to me, that's that's really what it's what it's going to come down to. I think that's the only really area where Colorado probably has the clear edge, and I think that you know that could be enough to make it a close game. So we'll see. But you know, one of the things that I think USC has to do in this game is not only win but win convincingly because. Um, there are college football playoff implications on the line. Now, I want to talk about that for a sec because we are recording this about an hour and a half or two hours after the college football playoff rankings. The first ones came out and USC came in at number 18. Taylor, I'm going to I'm going to let you start this off because you said you actually have some have not not too many problems with this. And I'm going to disagree with that, but I will let you have the floor first. Well, I didn't have a lot of problems with it, but then I'm looking at it now. And I'm seeing the amount of Big 12 teams in front of them. And I'm a, I'm a bit upset about it, specifically Texas. And I see your point um, with number 16, Wisconsin. Um, yeah, Wisconsin lost to Northwestern, um, which is just in a, I don't know why it makes sense for them to be above USC. However, um, looking at it from the panel selection, um, USC hasn't really had the chance to prove themselves like these other teams. 
And so that's obviously going to automatically cut their ability to be high up on the list. Um, and again, like, you know, like their opponents haven't been incredibly difficult. I mean, like maybe the most notable has been Arizona State. Um, so I think they really just want that notoriety with these uh, rankings when it comes to that. So, you know, take it as a positive that USC is on the list, that they are in the top 20. However, like after this weekend, you're right. This is going to be a big chance for USC to prove that it is better than Wisconsin, Texas, and maybe can be up there with yeah. Oregon soon. So to me, what what really bugged me is that I, I get that USC has only played three games so far and the teams they've beaten haven't been elite, right? But in that 9 to 18 range, above SC, you have two lost Georgia, two lost Texas, two lost Iowa State, two loss Oklahoma, right? Two loss teams this year, especially no chance to make the playoff. They never do, but there's, that's especially true this year when you're going to have several undefeated teams vying for that top spot. And I get that the college football playoff rankings, whatever, aren't just about who has the best chance to make the playoff, but it, it has implications on that. And I think that USC, if it goes undefeated, easily beats those two lost teams. I mean, those two lost teams don't even have a case. They shouldn't even be talking the playoff at this point. So, and then Wisconsin, they've played three games too. So the number of games argument doesn't really apply here. And they've lost the only real test that they've had against Northwestern. So uh, I think there's a pretty valid case for SC to be above them as as well. Um, I, I don't think this is going to matter a whole lot because I think when we get to the end of the season, and like I said, we have let's say SC goes undefeated, which of course they have to do if they want any chance at making the playoff. They're easily going to beat out those, you know, two lost Texas's, Iowa State's, Oklahoma's, Georgia's, whatever in the end. So again, I, I, I'm not tripping too much about being number 18 right, right now. I just think it shows kind of a sign that, you know, Pac-12 teams are going to have an extra hurdle to climb this year. USC is going to need to have some seriously convincing wins to end the schedule. And I think that if even one game gets canceled, you're going to put a team, a 6-0 and team, even if they're undefeated, you're going to have a team that played six games in the college football play. It's probably not going to happen, especially with, as we saw in there. I mean, Oregon was number 15, too. So, I mean, clearly the rankings aren't too fond of Pac-12 teams right now. So that's going to be a big hurdle to overcome as well. Well, USC football is not the only USC sport. Um, that's taking place this week. The USC men's and women's basketball teams both start their 2020 schedules tomorrow, um, probably today. I mean, it, depending on when you're hearing this, but that's happening on Wednesday. Um, I want to leave it to you two. What two things, what couple things are you most excited about watching about each of these teams in this upcoming season? Well, hopefully this Thanksgiving, I'm going to be grateful for USC starting with the dub. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously everyone's going to be talking about Evan Mobley. Um, he's the highest ranking player that we've ever had, and I think he has a lot of potential. But um, more importantly, I'm really interested to see how Coach Infield um, incorporates him into this lineup. And, um, you know, there is speculation that we have a chance at a deep run this season, um, you know, and that we could actually maybe win the Pac-12 title, which would be really, really exciting. And I think, you know, um, having basketball and uh, football happening at the same time and like in the regular season like this is really, really interesting. And I think it's going to give a lot of fans um, stuff to be excited about and stuff to follow. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm really excited to see what coach uh, Mark Track and the USC women's basketball team can do this year. Um, they had a really, really young roster last year who started competing like very well in the Pac-12 towards the end of the season. I think they started the year like 0-4, 0-5, 0-6 or something in Pac-12 play, but they wrapped it up really well. Um, they knocked off an undefeated 
or UCLA, who was like the only undefeated team in the country at that point. Um, they have uh, the Pac-12 freshman of the year, Alyssa Peely, coming back. She was their leading scorer last year. Their second leading scorer was also a freshman, India Rogers. Um, she's she's the guard. Peely is more of the the forward, who's uh, scores on the inside. Peely also has a shot, so I'm just really excited what they can do together. I, I know that Rogers can both shoot and put the ball on the floor and kind of work around her defense. So I'm really excited to see how they build around those two like budding stars and to see how far they can go this year. Yeah, well, I believe both of those two teams are going to play two games by the time we record our next podcast, and we'll certainly have a lot to talk about then. But for now, that's going to do it for this edition of Talk and Troy. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. As I always say, I don't know when we are going to be back, but we are going to be back at some point. Um, Let's hope this USC-Colorado game gets played. USC had a positive COVID test that came back on Monday, uh, yesterday. And hopefully that is not a team-wide issue, although we've seen in the Pac-12 that it certainly can be at this point, so our fingers are crossed for that. If there's a game this weekend, we will be talking about that next week. Um, See you then.